Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Victoria podcast. Today we are reflecting on Contempt for God Part 2. Today's guest with us is Jim Leonard again. You've been on the podcast before, right? Yes, I have. So, to start us off, what were your thoughts on the sermon on Sunday? Pastor Ben was obviously somewhat emotional about his dad, and he made it quite clear that dad was his hero. He also made it clear that Malachi was not just a book about tithing or giving or that sort of thing. What I got from him was that I and Judy give based on the means that God has given to us to include sacrificial giving. Now, whether that's 10% or 15% or 5% of our income, that's really up to what God lays on our heart and mind. And the sacrificial part of that is who comes into our lives that we can help. We give it to God because He's God. We give it to others because He's asked, He's directed that if we are available, and whether it's money, resources, talents, gifts, we give that to others. Yeah. Sunday's passage of Malachi made me really yeah. fall in love with the book. And it didn't help that I also heard it in, I'm always going to be plugging this book, Francis Chan's Crazy Love. It's not a matter of how much you do or how much you give. It's a matter of how you do. Yeah. What's in your heart? What's the motivation? What drives that number, whatever, in the case of money or time, other resources that you have? Yeah. And one of the points that Ben brought up on Sunday was that we don't know how to say thank you. And I think that's true for us as individuals and as a society as well. But another thing is, and this isn't in your notes that I sent you, but another thing is we also have a hard time hearing thank you. You know, we have a hard time giving and receiving thanks. Why do you think that is? First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 talks about always be joyful, always be prayerful, and always give thanks in all circumstances. That's if you've turned your life over to God. So the first thing you have to ask, I, I have that myself, is have I really turned my life over to God? Is He sitting on the throne of my heart? Always joyful, always praying, and in all circumstances, giving. Right. And sharing. And thanks, I mean. So, number one is, if you've got that attitude, okay, then you can be more receptive to what people offer you in terms of thank you for whatever it is you might have done. So, sometimes we don't we do not do that well because we really have not put Jesus completely on the throne of our heart. I, I go to John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. Well, when you're bringing forth much fruit, somebody's going to thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you're going to give thanks for that because God bless you. I mean, everything that happens to us is a blessing from God. It says all circumstances in those verses. <clears throat> so whether it's a trial or tribulation or it's a joyous event, you know, it all comes from God. And it's all a blessing because even the trial, Peter said, you know, even the trials and tribulations are there to test us and to strengthen us and have allow us to have more endurance and ability to to accept where we are when we are with god in those kinds of circumstances yeah and you know tying into last week's sermon about forgiveness i think it's a lot easier to be thankful when you are aware of how much you are forgiven that's the whole point of thankfulness is you remember what god has given us and where we should be versus 
where we are because he sent his son, but because he loves us so much. Yeah. So forgiveness is one of those things, I think, and I'm talking from a, a male perspective now particularly, I think it's harder to forgive or accept forgiveness for something broken relationship. Let's just put it like that as an example than any other thing that I experience, whether I'm the one who is asking for the forgiveness or I'm the one who is asked to forgive. Right. I, I'll give you one, one experience, personal experience. <clears throat> two weeks, oh, well, it's almost two weeks ago now, we took five of our grandchildren to the beach in Mississippi. And the last day we're packing up and one of my grandsons comes out of the car. I'm packing the, I'm packing the car. We have a loaded car because we've got five grandkids and Judy and I. And it's, it's, it's barely a seven-passenger car as it is. Pretty crowded. <clears throat> Not a lot of room for a lot of stuff. We had a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's hotter than Hades as well. <laughs> Trying to pack this car. And he comes out and he tells me what's not going to go. His, he had one of these electronic skateboards. Right. That that's not going to go on top, on the outside of a bag. Well, I got angry with him. <laughs> and, and so bottom line is I had to go back and ask for his forgiveness before I came home. So hard to do and yet has to be done. And I look back on it and I say, okay, at least I'm giving him an example of it's okay. you got to do this even if you're old, much older and you should know better. So anyway, forgiveness is the toughest thing, but it's also the most important thing I think God tells us to do in terms of thank, yeah. thanking Him and ultimately for the restore, restoration of a, of a relationship. Well, you can't really show that you're thankful to someone if you're never going to ask for forgiveness. Because yeah. if everybody else is always the problem, chances are well, you're, you're the, the problem. problem. Exactly. So, what are the biblical ramifications for not being thankful versus being thankful? Well, number one, you lose the joy of whatever it is that you can be thankful for. That verse in Thessalonians says, pray continually. And so, be thankful in all circumstances. Whether it's a difficult circumstance or it's a circumstance that brings you much joy, those are easy. But having the mindset Thanking God for everything, even the breath that I take is a gift from God. When I when I get up in the morning, the first breath I take is a gift from God. You know, at my age, just waking up is a gift from God. Right. So I've got to, you've got to recognize that, number one, we're really insignificant. Right. Number two, we're just passing through here on earth. And number three, God has love for us beyond yours or my comprehension for the things that we ought to be judged for. Right. He's also gracious and merciful. And he's given us a way by or what I'd like to say is I got a ticket to get on the train. Right. Just a matter of when I get on the train to actually go home. Be thankful for, for the time that you have. For me, it's some submission to Christ. And I like how you said, you know, ticket to go home on the drive here in the this morning my youngest asked me are aliens real it's like space aliens no <laughs> but you know aliens that just means you're not from where you're at so if we were to go into mexico we would be aliens and the bible says we are aliens yeah, exactly 
You know, yeah, that's a good point. This land is not our home. Yeah. Teachable um, moment. Took advantage of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she's she's getting a lot of a lot of really good theology here at, at KFC. At KFC especially. But I think another one of the interesting ramifications that and it's really the crux of the matter is the Israelites were put into exile for seventy years because they just stopped being thankful. Because if they were thankful, like we said, they would have been asking God for their forgiveness, but they only saw what was wrong when they were in trouble. And like most of us. Like most of us, yeah. And Malachi, which was written after they returned from exile, I think one of the saddest parts of Malachi is it shows they were kicked out of their land, they were conquered, they're no longer a free people anymore, and they still haven't learned their lesson. That's what happened in the book of Judges, right? They strayed from God, they stopped being thankful, they started sinning, and then they got conquered, or something happened, and the judge came and saved them, and everybody was happy, and then they stopped being the thankful. Cycle started all yeah. over again. And I don't know if we notice it, but that does kind of have a application in our lives as well. Maybe not on such a grand scale, but well, in our personal relationships at least. Yeah. Well, 9-11 is an example. It is, yeah. A lot of people a lot of people came to the Lord during that time in our history. World War II was like that. Lesser extent, Korea and Vietnam, even Afghanistan and Iraq. So what I've learned is you need Jesus, but most of us don't recognize that until we have a great need or a deep hurt or something yeah. that brings us to our knees, basically. And then the only other thing we have to have is a little faith. Not necessarily a lot, but a little faith with that great need points us towards Jesus. And so then we become thankful for that. For me, it began with my second-born son, who we almost lost when he was six weeks old. That humbled me and brought me to my knees in a time of when I was really sort of transitioning from being a non-believer or a, or a mediocre believer, if that's, possible. that's not really possible, but point is, I wasn't there to becoming there in terms of my relationship with Christ. And so I was thankful for that because I look back on it now, and that was God's hand in our duties in our life with, with Randy, that he survived. And so when things like that happen, it brings you, it can't, has the effect of bringing you closer to God. But all of us, if we really are honest, I think when you go back and look at your own salvation experience, you had some great need, and you had enough faith that Jesus accepted you. Yeah. Now, last week in the Sunday school lesson, Jesus uses two different words in the way they're translated in the Greek, anyway, for salvation. One is for salvation. One is just enough faith to be healed. Right. It was about healing, and in the resurrection of the ruler of the synagogue and Capernaum's daughter. Right. And so, he used for the ruler. And for the woman with the discharge, blood discharge, which is part of that story, the word, the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, which is he saved them in terms of spiritually, as well as did what they asked to do, the ruler in the case that his daughter was resurrected. And in the case of the woman, she was healed. And she was actually healed, in essence, twice. Once when she touched his tassel. Right. Don't hassle my tassel. And that was by faith 
that he had the power to do that. That doesn't necessarily mean she had the faith that he was the Messiah. But when he turned and talked to her, he said, your faith has saved you, sozo you. Iomea is the other word, the Greek word. It's a save, a washing, a cleansing, a healing. Uh, you have enough faith for that. A little girl was 12 years old that died in that story. She was not saved. Right. She wasn't even awake. I mean, she was dead when he walked in. and So you got to keep that in mind as, as we read about most of the people that Jesus healed in his ministry in those three years, and mostly Galilee, were not, not saved from a spiritual perspective. Right. But I imagine a lot of them were after he rose. We well, know he, saw, he was seen by, what, 500 people? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, but you think of the number, because everywhere he went, if, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but mostly in the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, <clears throat> he always had a multitude of people around him. He did, yeah. I mean, that's what he was about. He was accessible, available, touchable, and impartial. Yep. So, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you think we get past that? just having that halfway offering? Part of our unthankfulness is shown by... The fact that we only give halfway. Like the priests in Malachi 1, we do the modern day equivalent of giving sickly calves. We sit in church and we say, I'm here, I'm good enough. I hummed along and swayed with the music. That's the same as singing. You know, stuff like that. That's a very halfway mentality. What is the bare minimum I have to do in order to satisfy? No, the key for what you just said is the last one you just said. Oh, far too many... I don't, and I'd say this hesitantly, Christians mm-hmm. are that, that type of Christian. What do I have to do to get to heaven? Well, I have to believe in Jesus Christ. I have to believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> Nobody comes to the Father but through him. And so do I really, truly believe that? And, and it comes down to, was I transformed in my salvation? When you accept Jesus as your Lord, then there's got to be a change because he says there's going to be a change. And he causes that change, a transformation, so to speak. You know, in the Marine Corps, we have 12 weeks of, in our recruit training. And we take a civilian, and in 12 weeks, we turn him into a Marine. And we have a set way to do that. But what we hear often, so often, at graduation from recruit training, the parents can't believe what they see now in front of them versus what they sent to the depot, whether that's Paris Island in South Carolina or in California. That's what Jesus expects us to be. In Corinthians 5.17, he says, the old has passed away and the new has come. And so we should be different. We should be, what is it? Thomas Aquinas said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary in your life in terms of they should see a difference in us. They should. And so if you turn your life over to Jesus, okay, so now he tells me to pray without ceasing and to be thankful in all circumstances. So if I pray about giving, I didn't tithe before I became a Christian. I mean, a salvation. So, But when I sat down and Judy and I prayed about it and talked about it, we said we need to do this at whatever percentage we were talking about back then. But the point was, it was up to us, but we had to talk to, and hopefully the Holy Spirit impacted us in that decision. And so it's allowed us now over the years just to continually increase that. Because 
what is it, back in 1 Peter 4, I think, he talks about, you can test me, God says, and see if I don't open my storehouses to you yep. with, with over, an overabundance of giving back to what, for what you give me. Yeah, and God is very clear. He doesn't like being tested. He Don't test God, don't test God. But here you have that choice. You know, if you want to test me, test me in this. I like what Pastor Ben says. Don't ask him if you're saved. I'll see that you're saved. You know, it's it's obvious. What I see is the disciples example this as Jesus trained them right. over that three-year period. They went from being fishermen to a transition of being apostles. And with all kinds of similar powers, not the same power, but similar powers Jesus gave to them that he had. Finally, after his death and resurrection, I think except for Judas, they understood that what it meant to be for him to be the Lord of your life. Right. Or those 11 or 12 with Matthias, those 12 guys went out and changed the whole world. When you think about that. Now, Jesus did the changing or did the, gave them the impetus to do that, but they were willing to do it. And, and so are we, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to, in every conversation, raise the subject of church or, or Jesus or God or, or the Holy Spirit? When God gives us those opportunities, uh, almost every day you can expect one, I think. Do you take it? Do you have the courage and the, the knowledge even to do that? And more so the knowledge of your experience with Christ, the relationship. Because nobody can take that away from you or dispute that, I don't think. If I had the experience with God in some fashion like tithing or giving, then I'll tell you about it. And you may not agree with or believe even what I say, but the point is, that's okay with me because the Holy Spirit's the one doing all the work here. Right. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. Right. And so are you in? You, you can't be halfway in. You can't have one foot in and one foot in the world. He wants all of you. That's a big decision. And he tells us in Matthew, particularly chapter 10, that you should expect persecution before following me. Because was I not persecuted? What makes you think you won't be persecuted if you're a follower of me? That's what discipleship is all about. Right. This is a recurring theme on this podcast. Just give God your all. You're either all in or you're not. And I don't mind. We've kind of touched on that every week we've had the podcast. Somebody has brought it up or I've brought it up. And I think that's a huge thing is you're either all in or you're not. And if you're not all in then why are you not all in? And I'm not going to get into making people worry about their salvation or not, but, you know, if you are worried about your salvation, I would definitely say read the Gospel of John. Any of the Gospels, really, but John is especially good for salvation. Read Romans and read 1 John. And also, you know, I'm sure... The only thing um, I would add to that is... Not only read, but study what you read, meditate on what yeah. you read, and then listen. Yes. <clears throat> listen and, for the Holy Spirit to respond to you. And ask God for wisdom. Jesus himself said, if you ask, it will be answered to you. If you knock, it will be open, open. to you. And if you seek it, you will find it. And it's and, easy to find because if you jump over to Revelations mm-hmm. 3.20, he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. Yeah. All you got to do is open the door. 
That's the big thing. God wants you way more than you could ever want him. It doesn't matter how on fire you are for God. He wants you more than you want him. And that's a huge, huge thing to remember is God does love you. Jesus died for you just so that you could have that relationship with him. God has this all-encompassing love, which I, I can't grasp. As much as I love my bride, I can't love like God loves all of us. Right. I accept that, and I accept his love as well, and I try to give back to him in terms of my love for him. But the point is, is that he wants us in his kingdom, and the only way he can do that is, is how he did it, is to love us so much that he made a deal or a covenant with Christ, and Christ accepted the deal or the covenant, and came and did what God asked him to do. In closing, how would you advise our listeners to become more authentic in their worship? Well, if Jesus was anything, he was authentic. Right. And his love for the Father, his willingness to do the will, to be in the center of the will, the only thing better than being in the center of the will is in the presence of God. Yeah. He gave sacrificially. You know, he healed anybody and everybody that came before him asking to be healed unless they didn't have the faith. I could not, maybe you can, but I suspect you cannot imagine the power that it took. Because when Jesus healed, it was instantaneous. And in Mark, he says he healed mutilated bodies, which meant sort of like Afghanistan war, blown off legs, blown off arms, but gave him an arm. And it was functioning when he said it or when he touched them or whatever way that the healing took place. I can't grasp it. I had a knee replacement. It took me 12 weeks to rehab that knee. So we're talking about every time Jesus healed somebody, whether it was the blind or the, the lame or, or resurrected somebody, it was instantaneous. And it's like the girl that he raised, the 12-year-old girl they raised. Luke says her spirit came back to her. Now, what a great example that is for us in terms of when we die, our spirit is going somewhere. Yeah. Was it? And in the case of her resurrection, for her to really be resurrected, I suspect Lazarus was the same way. Her spirit had to come back to her. And so that, that's a great example of what's going to happen to us in terms of death. So he even has power over death, and, he, and, and we should actually look forward to the fact that we're going to be able to join him spiritually and someday physically when he actually comes back and the spirit joins the body again. I could take you through a set of scriptures, but the point is you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to give your heart to him. You have to make him Lord of your life, not just a jester of, of your life, but that he really rules your thoughts, your emotions, and what you think, your mind. And so that is how we grow closer to him and learn to listen to his spirit and what it has to, to teach us and counsel us and I have to agree 100%. I think the most important aspect of becoming more authentic in our worship is just sit and meditate on John 3 verses 1 through 36 especially. Realize what exactly it was that Jesus came to do. Isaiah 53 really hit home for me what ex why it was Jesus had to die and what it was that it accomplished. But to become more authentic in your worship, first, got to want it. And second, just 
realize what Jesus did and try your best to fall in love with him. Get that relationship going. When you have that, when you have that love, everything else falls into place. God put a hole in our heart. We can't have happiness and joy. You can't get it through things, material, physical. You may think so. You may want a boat because you think that brings happiness to you because you can go fishing every weekend or whatever. But God put that hole there for Jesus. When you fill that hole with Jesus, then I believe that you should want to spend time with him. Yeah. I mean, dedicated time. It was hard when I was younger and had children at home and you've got a family and you're trying to do all the things you do with your kids and all that kind of stuff to find even 30 minutes. But the point is, I wanted to be with him. Now I'm retired and I got time to be with him. And so I try to be with him because I want to be with him. That's the love I think that you're talking about because that's how he teaches us. That's what makes us authentic. It shouldn't be something that you feel like you're forced to do. No. You want this relationship to work. Jesus says, you got to know what I expect. Yeah. Obviously, the best place to find that out is to go to the Bible. That's his word. God, the Father, Jesus is really the word, John 1. And then the Holy Spirit is the Spirit. They all mesh together. Hard to explain. Difficult, as a matter of fact. But and even to understand. But point is, they're three and one, and they're just one. What you see in Jesus, you should see and expect from God. Same yeah. thing for the Holy yeah. Spirit. You don't see them. Jesus came to be an example of what God is in terms of the person of God. Yeah. So if you want to pray us out. and I can. I can. Our great God Almighty, we thank you for once again for this opportunity to share in your word and share in, the, in, in terms of giving and whatever that giving represents in terms of money, talents, gifts that you've given to us. That even is a gift from you. And so we pray for all those in, in, uh, in First Baptist Church, particularly as far as the membership and those who are believers. We pray for any that may not have made that commitment because it is a commitment to, to follow you to be like you, Paul tells us, to be imitators of you. And so I appreciate the love that you, that the Father gives to us, that you give to us. The Spirit leads us in, and I thank you for the leading of the Spirit, the fact that the Spirit prays for me, prays for BJ, prays for everyone, because we really don't know how to pray in that, in that deep, authentic, prayerful attitude that you have for us. Thank you for the KFC and all these individuals that are working in, in this program. It's good to have 100-plus kids running around in the church, and the parking lot's full of cars, and the people are coming by and seeing all this. And so hopefully we're an example to the community as well. These things I always ask and pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, huh? thank you for listening to us. Thanks for coming in, and we will catch you guys next time.